Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like. All at the same time. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy. This is Ion Veterans Weekend, a roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served. Presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. There are nearly 20 million, 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the U.S., US. Each week, we focus on their stories. Powered by ConnectingVets.com. This, this is CBS Eye on Veterans. Eye on Veterans. Welcome to another edition of CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Eye on Veterans is a weekly program focused on the men and women who have served our nation in uniform and their families. We're powered by ConnectingVets.com. Always a great place to find military news, veteran news, resources, and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This hour, we'll hear what life is like inside the hospital during the coronavirus outbreak. We'll hear about one nurse's nightmare at Walter Reed. I had a exposure to a patient that uh, passed the screening tent that we have outside and got into the ER. And where can small business owners get the money they need to stay afloat? We'll talk to the United States Small Business Administration. We have your back. We're going to be here to make sure that we're going to be here for the long term, but to make sure that you're able to not only get back on your feet, but thrive and flourish in these really challenging times. And just what did a Marine veteran photograph in West Virginia? We'll hear the firsthand account of an encounter with Bigfoot. The thing that was so intriguing about this thing, not only was his size, but the fact that I've never seen a Bigfoot pitcher anywhere that had the blonde hair under his eyes. All right, as we get used to the coronavirus era, the quarantine days, this life on lockdown, everybody has some adapting to do. And it's taken some getting used to. And it's also taken a lot of people by surprise. And there are those people on the front lines right now, and I'm talking about nurses and doctors and medical professionals that are risking their lives, literally, to give the treatment and to help those affected. I'm joined now by a medical professional, a nurse who will just say her name is Jane, and uh, she wants to share a little bit about what she's experienced at Walter Reed. Jane, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Really good. Share with me a little bit about what you've been going through over the last seven days, because you've got you've you've got kind of a dramatic story. So currently, I am quarantined at home. Um, I had a, an exposure to a patient that uh, passed the screening tent that we have outside and got into the ER and taking care of the patient without wearing any protection, a mask, gloves, things like that. 
and um, they had a positive test for coronavirus. Um, so I met her on quarantine, kind of started developing symptoms on Wednesday last week, um, got tested Wednesday last week, and I've been home since then just waiting it out. Share with me how it's possible for somebody to get past the initial screening setting in a hospital environment, have the virus, and still make it into the ER. In ER every day, we kind of see those people will tell us one thing in triage and then not actually remember something when they're back in the room that they didn't tell us in triage. They've suddenly either remembered they had contact with somebody or, you know, they their aunt traveled recently or something like that. All right. Talk to me about where we stand right now on the front lines uh, in hospitals. I know that you can only speak to the part of Walter Reed that you see, but where are we with like personal protective equipment, with masks, with uh, face shields? Are there enough supplies to handle the amount of people that, in your opinion, are coming through the doors needing tests or showing symptoms? There are definitely not enough equipment for the amount of patients that are coming through the doors currently and that will be coming through our doors. Um, yeah, I am part of lots of groups with lots of professionals in different areas across the country. And, you know, this is just the beginning, unfortunately. We kind of haven't hit the peak yet. I'm kind of watching updates with CDC and things like that. And as we go on the upcoming weeks, um, we're going to definitely need more respirators, more masks. Right now, um, I do know from talking to coworkers that we're reusing our N95 respirators um, and putting them in paper bags for our shift um, to get sterilized later. You know, in the beginning stages, not really sure how much that helps with the integrity of the mask, um, but they are requesting, you know, if you can sew a cloth mask, we can put that over the N95 respirator. <laughs> Um, it's better than nothing, I guess. <laughs> and I don't, and I don't mean to laugh at that, but I mean, it just, no, it just it, sounds it. ridiculous. That like, okay, guys, you got your choice. You can have a re-sanitized mask or you can just come on in wearing your favorite bandana. I mean, it's going to look like the Crips and Bloods in the ER soon, you know, red yeah. bandanas, blue bandanas. All right. Let's talk about your personal situation real quick. If I can, um, yeah. Exposed to someone that, uh, you know, was there with the virus and then sent home and you began to feel ill. Tell me about how you felt over the weekend, because from what I understand, you're still sort of in the throes of this and not quite sure whether or not you're healthy enough to return to work. Yeah. So the whole time I've just felt felt really tired, fatigued, kind of having issues getting out of bed. I'd rather just sleep all day, sore throat, really bad headache. I haven't really had a fever other than I wake up drenched in the morning, which I can only think is maybe me trying to fight off a fever when I'm sleeping. Um, real short of breath at like weird times. So one minute I'll feel totally fine and the next minute I'm not. Coughing, had coughing spells. I really can't. It's not predictable at all. Okay, so suffice to say, you've been sick as a dog all weekend long. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, where are we as far as testing? Now, naturally, you came in contact with somebody that was positive for COVID-19. Uh, you took your test. What are they saying? How soon till those results come out? How soon till you know if you can get back to work? So I had, so I got tested at my local hospital. What they're doing is basically running like a viral panel first. My viral panel came back negative. 
So then they're sending it on for the coronavirus testing. And then they are saying five days, within five days from that Friday. So I would, I don't know if that's business days or what, but if that is the case, I should get my results back tomorrow. But I know that now they're saying that we can return to work even without having test results. So if we have um, if we have no fever, improvement in like respiratory symptoms, like cough, shortness of breath, and at least seven days have passed since the symptoms first appeared, then we can go back to work. Wow. So what does that tell you as a medical professional, as a nurse that sees people every day? What does that tell you about where we are as a nation? Are there a lot of people you think that maybe just thought they were coming down with the flu, wrote it out, had their chicken soup, had their Gatorade, and then just are simply waiting for this to pass and actually might be carrying it? I do. I do. Just because I know me, like when I first started with my symptoms, it was like runny nose and stuff, and it's allergy season in Maryland, and that's just what I thought it was. The little allergy cough that you get, the dry cough. You know, some people, it's very possible, do have coronavirus. So uh, we could be seeing more of this or we could be seeing this last longer than we're anticipating, huh? Yeah. Just like from following what's happening in other countries, you know, with Italy and China, you know, I just think it's still just, we're still in the beginning of everything. Is what we're doing making sure that our hands are washed, making sure that we don't touch as many things. Maybe we don't go as many places. In your experience, do you think that's good enough? You think that that's just about the best that we can do? And in fact, that'll actually help this? As of right now, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what we're just going to have to keep doing. Um, You know, just kind of staying at home, you know, social distancing, don't have huge ragers at your house. (laughs) Um, um, If you do go out, you know, Just wash your hands. That's all I have to say. Just maybe send one person out to get the necessities that you're going to need. All I do ask, you know, a lot of the stuff with this virus can be managed at home. Take Tylenol, you know, rest, lots of fluids. Um, No need to run to the ER unless you're having really bad shortness of breath, respiratory issues. Well, that is good advice. And, uh, you know, as always, we certainly wish you well. We hope you feel 100% soon. And uh, in the meantime, we will wash our hands. And I guess, uh, if anything, we will just eliminate all high fives until further notice. That's right. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, as the economic reality of this coronavirus era sets in, many business owners and veteran business owners are finding themselves unable to stay afloat. What with the quarantines and the social distancing, and some states and counties have frankly forced their doors to close. A lot of veteran businesses right now need a lifeline. And earlier this month, we heard President Trump announce millions of dollars in aid becoming available to small businesses. So for veterans who may be looking to stay afloat, I'm happy to welcome Ms. Carol Chastang with the United States Small Business Administration. Carol, welcome. Thank you, Phil. 
Wow, uncertain times, businesses, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And then here's the SBA, this like lighthouse, this beacon of hope and help. And (laughs) here's what I've heard. And you just tell me if I'm on the right path here. Okay. I've heard that the SBA will work directly with state governors to provide targeted low interest disaster recovery loans to small businesses that have been severely impacted by the situation. Um, Economic injury disaster loans. Is that a thing? And are they available? Great question. So the SBA has taken the unprecedented move of making the economic injury disaster loan program eligible to small businesses in all 50 states and U.S. territories. This is a low interest loan. The interest rate is 3.75% for small businesses and 2.75% for nonprofits. So small businesses and nonprofits can borrow up to $2 million to cover operating expenses that they would have been handled had the closures and shutdowns not had occurred that are related to COVID-19. So that's stuff like payroll. That's stuff like if I own a coffee shop, I can afford yeah. to maybe keep my people on for a few weeks while we, while we wait for business to come back. That's right. Fixed debts, payroll, accounts payable, any bills that can't be paid because of the disaster's impact. I've also heard through certain circles that there's like a three-step process to getting this done. Talk to me about that. The first process, the first step is to um, apply for the loan. Go to sba.gov slash disaster and then click on the link that says apply for assistance. Um, And with this point, I'm really encouraging business owners to get their applications in as soon as possible. We're going to have a lot of businesses from all over the country applying. You don't want to wait for two weeks. Get those applications in, again, as soon as you can. The second uh, step is the loan approval process. An SBA loan officer will work one-on-one with the small business owner to make sure that that business owner is submitting all the information and documentation needed for the application to be processed. And then once the loan is approved, the third step is... uh, approval. Um, The SBA, well, once the business owner has signed all of the closing documents, then the disbursement is done and the funds can be transferred to the business owner within five working days. Okay. So three easy steps. And uh, of course, you're going to have to get your ducks in a row, but three steps for some help to be in the way. Talk to me about how difficult it is to get these loans. Are the requirements super stringent? I mean, I know sometimes things can sound too good to be true. And then you come to find out that, you know, because you don't have blue eyes and you can't stand on one leg that, you know, maybe (laughs) your business didn't qualify for this. Um, Are the requirements strict? So the SBA has been making low interest disaster loans to homeowners, renters, and businesses since 1953. The SBA understands that a disaster is not a planned occurrence. This is not a planned debt. So therefore, the SBA really does bend over backwards to make sure that the loan terms are comfortable for the business owner. And then given the challenges that businesses everywhere are facing these days, um, the SBA, again, with a low interest rate and the comfortable terms, up to 30-year terms, by the way, we're really going to make it... um, easy for business owners to get back on their feet. That's great. And that's really good news. Speaking of news, as, as we watch the evening news every night, you know, we see this program that was announced, I want to say right around the 18th of March. 
uh, is when the president first spoke of all these millions of dollars being given to the SBA to help dole out. And then we hear about this economic package just recently that Congress can't quite seem to agree on. You know, some are saying that they're holding up the economic stimulus package. Is the current economic stimulus package that we're hearing them debate about in Congress related to any of the funds that the SBA is eligible to give out now? No, not at all. Um, the SBA has a disaster lending authority of billions of dollars, uh, more than enough um, funds to make disaster loans to these businesses affected by the coronavirus. So at this point, please, again, as I said earlier, encouraging business owners to get your application in as soon as you possibly can. The sooner you get your application in, the sooner you'll be approved. Yeah, so it's kind of different than the way we hear about business lending normally, in that the SBA kind of takes your application to a bank and says, yeah, we give this guy a seal of approval because it appears he has his stuff together, but the SBA doesn't actually lend the money. The private institution, the bank, actually lends the money. When it comes to disaster lending, it's actually the SBA that's giving out the money, correct? Correct. Um, these SBA disaster loans are direct loans. They're funded by the Treasury, so kind of taking out the middle person, the banker. So, yeah, it's a direct loan, and they're doing it that way since 1953. Now, you'd also mentioned to me there was one other resource that we should try to look at before we or while we apply. And maybe if we have any questions, uh, you said we can take to the Internet and there are webinars going on right now that answer a ton of these questions. So SBA field offices are hosting uh, webinars every day to respond to questions that business owners have about the application process, about loan limits, eligibility requirements. So um, an easy way to access those uh, webinars is to go to the respective district office website. Um, to find that, where your local district office is located, go to www.sba.gov slash local. And um, just put in your zip code. Then you'll find a page for the local district office. And on their page, they'll have information about the webinars. Uh, you can also sign up for email updates. Um, We'll be sending out updates regarding, you know, any changes to policy, um, uh, maybe any new loan programs. So you just go to www.sba.gov updates, and that way you'll plug in and get the latest information in real time. Now, as someone that's been with the SBA for a while, you've certainly seen other situations, uh, disasters. You know, I think of Katrina. I think of, uh, oh gosh, the economic downturn that we saw in 2008. For the business owner, are these the worst of times? Or can you kind of say and tell all business owners out there that there is enough help to get us through this? That's a great question, Phil. And what I've seen over the years is I'm always amazed that, uh, you know, small businesses are really the heartbeat of our communities. And once the small business recovers, that's really going to establish the economic recovery for the community. So we're all in this together, and the SBAs, we're going to continue to help small business owners with uh, everything they need, be it counseling from our resource partners, like Veterans Business Outreach Centers and SCORE, um, to again, providing assistance in the form of low-interest disaster loans. We've seen over the years that small business owners are resilient. And 
in the aftermath of a devastating disaster, physical disaster. This one's really different. But again, um, the message we really want to convey is we really need you, small business owners. We need you to recover. And we're going to be here. We have your back. We're going to be here for the long term, but to make sure that you're able to not only get back on your feet, but thrive and flourish in these really challenging times. Wow. All right. Well, such important words to hear in these days of doom and gloom. And I know everybody seems to be really <laughs> nervous and it's just so great to hear the level of optimism. And I just can't thank you enough for sharing that. Uh, can you share with me more information about how to find out about the resources of the SBA right now? Sure. Thank you, Phil. So to um, find out more about the disaster assistance for businesses affected by the coronavirus, go to sba.gov disaster. You can also email any questions you have to disaster customer service, all one word, at sba.gov. Help is on the way if you're a small business in distress right now. Get to know the U.S. Small Business Administration. Carol Chastang, thank you for everything you guys are doing. Great. Thank you, Phil. And we'll be back with more when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. We're powered by ConnectingVets.com, your source for military veteran news and stories that affect the veteran lifestyle. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now for the rest of the show, we're going to talk about Bigfoot and the Marine veteran we met who claims to have photographed it near his hunting stand deep in the mountains of West Virginia. Now I first saw the story on social media where Dave Sibre published the Bigfoot sighting story on West Virginia Explorer Magazine's Facebook page. I was getting ready to lay down for a nap and across my cell phone comes a, a, a message and it says, I've taken a picture of a Bigfoot, would you like to see it? And so I was like, well, I guess I won't be taking a nap. Dave didn't get a nap that day, but he did manage to get the picture. So before I reached out to his Bigfoot sighting source, I asked if he thought it was even possible. Or was I just about to interview a lunatic? If it's going to be seen anywhere, for my money, in the eastern U.S., it would be in an area like this. You're on the edge of the, the Allegheny Range, which is, a, which is a mountain range that runs from right there uh, upward through western Maryland into Pennsylvania uh, and into New York. So they're on the edge of just hundreds of thousands of acres immediately of, of woodland all around them. So if something like this is going to occur, if, if Bigfoot is going to be able to survive or a group of them anywhere, it, it would be in some place like this. So with that, I reached out to his source. A husband and wife living in a remote corner of Fayette County, southern West Virginia, claim that they've not only encountered a Bigfoot, but they've photographed one. But it was Billy Humphrey in the story that caught my eye. See, because Billy Humphrey's two things. He's a Marine Corps veteran, and he was also a former Bigfoot skeptic. So I knew I had to kind of reach out to him and get the whole story. So joining us now is Billy Humphrey from West Virginia. How are you, Billy? Doing great. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. And, uh, you know, as I said in the lead in there, you gave me hope that this was not just one of those crazy National Enquirer stories because you're kind right. of a skeptic. Uh, before we get into the Bigfoot sighting, real quick, tell me um, tell me about your time in the Marine Corps. Well, stationed in Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. I was a 5811, 5812. I was a 
military police canine officer. Um, I eventually took over as kennel master. I didn't have to do overseas or anything like that. And actually, the reason I got to stay in the States was because military police instructor told me that if I graduated with honors, he would give me duty station of choice and I could go canine, which was what I wanted. I like to bring up the canine background because I think it lends a little credibility to the story that we're about to talk about. Share with me how it all began with this Bigfoot sighting. I understand it took place uh, last year, deer season. That week, um, I usually take 50 pounds of um, apple corn, I'll throw it all over the ground, and um, just whatever apples and stuff I pick up when I go up the hill that falls out of our trees. And basically, I I feed them to start fattening them up for the wintertime. A couple days before the pitcher, probably about four days before the pitcher, I noticed that the food that was lasting, you know, four or five days where we'd have to go up and throw more food was disappearing overnight. Billy went on to talk about how unusual it was for that amount of feed to go missing. And he also shared that whatever was taking the feed was not behaving like a regular animal. When I went back up there, my blind was crushed. Um, the, we had like four, four bags, uh, 50-pound bags of apple corn. We had jars of peanut butter. That stuff is gone, not tore up, gone, and scattered everywhere. The packages, the bags, the peanut butter is gone. Something physically picked them up and carried them off and crushed my blind. So unlike an animal that would just simply kick something around or wrestle with something. Or and get rip with... the bags open or what? No, right. they are gone. There is no bags, no paper, no peanut butter, nothing up there now. And a bear couldn't do it. A bear couldn't. If it, even if it tried it with its teeth and tried to pull it, it'd rip the bag apart. Whatever picked this, whatever crushed my blind, and I ain't touched it yet. I let the researchers go around. I said, if y'all want to, nothing's touched. You can look for hair. Um, whatever you want to do. Nobody has been in that blind since the day that I seen Bigfoot. Determined to get to the bottom of the mystery, the Marine veteran Billy Humphrey returned to his deer blind. So I went up. I knew I had raccoons that I caught on trail cam a couple times up there, so I thought I'd eliminate them. So went up on the hill, set, set a mining light up as high as I can reach. I'm 5'10", so say eight and a half off the ground. I put it on a post, stuck it in the ground. And um, that night... First night I sat up there, um, I texted my wife. I said, it is really eerie up here. And uh, she was like, well, maybe a bear has moved down. I said, yeah. I said, maybe. But I said, I've never had a bear give, make me feel like this. I said, there's just something. Something's not right. It wasn't, I would say, within the hour. I heard something coming from around my neighbor's property on the backside of my blind. And as it approached my blind, it was heavy. You know, unlike a bear, deer, anything like that. It ended up standing behind my blind for a while. I'd say 15, 20 minutes, never moved. And as it walked toward my house from, because it split my blind in the light. So as it walked through, I watched the silhouette of it block the food out. So this thing had to be at least eight, eight and a half. But at this point, I'm still thinking a bear will stand up. That's what I was thinking. You know, I had peanut butter out. He might've got a whiff of it. He stood up from the light. So that's what I went with. Never in a million years dreamed what I was going to get two days later. During that experience, you're sitting up in your deer blind in the tree? and, and No, I'm, I'm on the ground. I didn't even have my blind zipped up, so this it had to see me. When it's not zipped, it spreads a foot probably apart. And you could feel like kind of its presence oh, it behind was, you? It was as the if, most, it, most eerie feeling. It was just, you just knew something. It must have been our, our, our instinct, our human instinct, that if something wasn't right. Wow. I felt uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And I mean, it'd be dangerous even if it was just a bear or. Oh, I mean, yes. Because yes. those things are deadly. I mean, you had your rifle with you, right? I had no. Actually, I had a crossbow. It wasn't rifle season. Ooh. I was. Yeah, that was, that was what made it even worse. 
I mean, even if it were a bear, right? At the same time, I mean, right? Because I've had I've had numerous people call me and they're like, "Why didn't you shoot it?" You know, when I got the picture of it, it's bad enough shooting a bear with a crossbow. You better hope you hit it right. I couldn't imagine shooting something like that. What he's gonna do? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to do that. This wasn't gonna happen. No doubt. That wasn't the last time you'd experienced that. You went back and you brought your wife this next time. I told her, let's just sit in the blind. Let's just set up here and see maybe, you know, whatever come by, maybe it's a bear and we can catch it right before dark and see what's eating all this food. So we got inside the blind, I zipped it up, and I had made this custom, basically like a stand to hold my crossbow, you know, to hold it steady, you know, and I just built it and I put screws in it and hung my calls and my black rack and all that stuff off of it. And um, I'm adjusting those. We've been in there 15 minutes, something like that. And uh, I'm adjusting them. She goes, oh, my God, there he is. And I said, I was like, who? She said, Bigfoot. I still didn't turn around. I was still just, I said, you're crazy. <laughs> she said, no, I'm serious. Look. I, when I looked, he was looking right at me. And the thing that was so intriguing about this thing, not only was his size, but the fact that I've never seen a Bigfoot picture anywhere that had the blonde hair under his eyes. He had like blonde, real light around his nose and under his nose, which was, the, that's the thing that I, first thing that I've seen every time I talk about the, the thing I bring up is that was a unique trait on him besides the size. The size was unbelievable how big he was. And the fact when, when I took the picture that I sent to you, he has already started turning. So he stood there long enough for me to grab my cell phones in between me and her. I set it down when I got in the line, I picked it up, I swiped it. And I, the original picture, I just kind of aimed it toward him as he's turning. I snapped the picture. Thank God I got a picture of him before he turned completely around that tree. So if you look at the picture, you can see his forearm. He's already started swaying the turn to go back where he came from. We never heard him walk up. So that's the thing about this is how stealthy it would make sense now how people don't hear him or see him. For him to come all the way up on us like that within 60 yards and us not even know he was there. He was there watching us. Because you didn't hear him would indicate to you that it was some kind of creature other than a bear or Oh yeah, it was no it wasn't a bear. No, this thing like I when I tell this story, I never open up with I seen Bigfoot. I tell him, I'm gonna show you a picture. I'm gonna tell you what I seen. You make up your own mind on what it is. Hmm. And what's funny is I would say probably sixty, seventy percent of the people I show that picture to, the first thing that comes out of their mind is ape. They say it looks like a big gorilla. Now coming up, we'll examine that photo even further and hear more details about this Marine veteran's encounter with Bigfoot. And the crazy thing about it, just while I'm thinking about it, is when it walked off, it let out a howl, hard to explain, like a, like a whoo, almost like if you have a car goes by, you blaring the system and you feel the bass out of it, you could feel the power in that. That's ahead on CBS Ion Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, in our last segment, we heard about a Bigfoot sighting from Billy Humphrey in West Virginia. In the fall of 2019, the former Marine who grew up hunting in the woods and has worked with military canines says he photographed a creature that he can't explain. The thing that was so intriguing about this thing not only was his size, but the fact that I've never seen a Bigfoot picture anywhere 
that had the blonde hair under his eyes. But the experience has changed his life. I went from not believing in some mythical creature like that to seeing one physically. It's completely flip-flopped beliefs and everything. We'll return to the part of the conversation where we look to describe the grainy image but peculiar subject that he captured on a cell phone. It's not the highest resolution photo, but you can sort of see if you look sort of to like the left third of the photograph, there's, there's, you know, the tree, there's like a tree trunk, several tree trunks right there. And to the right of it does appear to be something black, dark fur. Yeah. There's different filters. That's one that I sent off to have the pixels fixed on it. I sent it off to a guy and paid him over the internet to fix the pixels. So it's a little bit better. You gotta imagine I took this with an LG phone at 60 yards. So even with an iPhone, we even went up there, I had a researcher come up, and he took a picture from the same area, and even with his phone, a real nice phone, it was still the same situation. Describe the body position of this creature. Again, I'm looking at it from about 60 yards away, trees everywhere, but next to this right. one tree trunk, how exactly is he positioned in that photo? And you're only seeing from about the top of his thigh, waist area. He's actually standing old, kind of over a hill a little bit, like a berm. But if you look... You can see the big cone head, which was a big thing, and I, I tell people he had a huge head. But you can see the cone part of his head. You can see the light part under his eyes, which is blonde. If you do the regular filter or filter it more of a brown, you can see the really see the blonde hair on it. If you look down, you can see the barrel part of his chest. And if you go down a little bit more right at his waist, you'll see his forearm is out to the side. You can see he's already has his arm bent where he's turning hmm. to, to walk back. So if you look, you can see the forearm to the side, down around where the quad is. I didn't believe in it, and I sat on this picture for five months. And the only reason I come out with this picture, I would be, first of all, I know it's going to get ridiculed, which actually flipped. I figured it was going to be bad, but it actually opened a lot of eyes. But I come out with the picture because I can't stand watching these videos of these people hoaxing, these people saying they're catching this stuff on trail cam, and you can obviously tell that it's not real. After seeing the real thing, the only video that I've seen yet on YouTube or anywhere that even matches what we've seen, and she agrees with me on it, is the Gimlin-Patterson field. When that thing walked and turned as, it, as it's walking and looked back, the arm swinging, that's exactly what this thing did when it walked off the hill. Now, the difference between that one and what we've seen, that one was kind of, if you look at that one, that was short and kind of fat, I guess you would say. I don't know. But the one we've seen was just incredibly muscular, just massive. Mm. It gets chills every time I talk about it because I didn't. No way in this world. I've been through woods all my life. I've hunted all my life. I've never believed in it. I laughed. She said she's seen it before. I laughed at her. I mean, the same reaction that I'm receiving now. I mean, it's completely flipped my life. I mean, I went from not believing in some mythical creature like that to seeing one physically. And the crazy thing about it, while I'm thinking about it, is when it walked off, it let out a howl, whoop. Hard to explain, like a, like a, and it was so loud and she can tell you almost like if you have a car goes by, you blaring the system and you feel the bass out of it. You could feel the power in that. Just wow. unbelievable. I mean, That's it's hard to even put into words what we've seen. That is awesome, Billy. That's, I, I, I love the vivid description there. Um, you not only saw it, we're able to snap a real quick photo with it, with your phone, but uh, as you looked around the area, tell me what else you found on the ground. Where the food plot is, we went back up. It took me a while to go back up there. 
it took me, I'd say, a month and a half, two months before I went back up there. And when I did, in the middle of the flu, the food plot where I put all the food and stuff, it's real soft. And it's where the deer are constantly digging it up and everything. But I got a footprint. It is 17 and a half inches long. And at the front, right where the toes, where the batter part of the foot is, is eight and a half inches wide. So we're casting. I got a researcher that's coming up, and we're going to cast it. I've got it covered up now. He went up there, and he found all kinds of positive sign of Bigfoot, how they bend trees in a certain line as markers. He found trees that were bent and broke, and they were in a straight line, which is crazy. I never noticed them before. Did you notice, like, toes, or did you notice? Yeah, it's got, just like ours, just big. Wow. Just big. And that's why I see when I see a lot of the pictures of the flat ones with the big toes, that's not what mine looks. Mine looks just like ours. It's got five toes, and it's just a big foot, just a big version of ours. Now, this also attracted the attention, as you just mentioned, of researchers. Uh, share with me who's been up to visit you and what they've seen. Les O'Dell is a researcher. Um, um, he's been up here. Um, he brought a lady with him that's a researcher. They went all over the pop property, and they found all kinds of signs. Actually showed me stuff that now I go on videos on YouTube now, and I see them now that's on my property. I've got two guys, Spider, and I can't remember the other guy's name. They're coming down on the third. They have a big podcast. And they're coming down just by the story. They don't. They never believed in Bigfoot or not, but the story intrigued them enough to come down, schedule to come down for a couple of days. So I mean, it's it's opened a lot of eyebrows. I've had people call. I, I know North Carolina, some news outlets down there did my story, and that's not what I wanted it for. Like I said, I I, I, I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for fame. I could care less about any of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. The, just the fact that I want wanted it out there to what I seen. I I know for a fact there is something on two legs that is massive, that walks like we do. Um, and I think I think the government knows a little bit more. There's there's just no way. They, and like I told Dan, and people ask me, what would you do if you found him? What, what would you do? Would you kill him? I said, no. Actually, to be honest with you, I wouldn't tell you where he was. You couldn't shoot him. He looks just like me and you. It's, it's like a man. I mean, it'd be like going up and killing a man for no reason. What have you yeah. heard from your local neighbors and stuff? Obviously, you can't be the first generation of people that have experienced this phenomenon. Um, what do the other folks in town say? Or have you heard other legendary stories? Not so much here. Nothing around this area. My wife seen one at Babcock on a power line um, going through the mountain. She's seen one in the middle of a power line. You know, I didn't believe that, too. I laughed at her at that. But it makes sense <laughs> now because they say they use power lines as guide, like markers, trails. So it makes sense that she said she's seen it on a power line. Wow. But since I've come out, I've had people everywhere hitting me up on Instagram with their stories, sending me pictures of their trail cam pictures, just afraid to come out because they're afraid to get made fun of. And because I stepped up, now everybody's starting to come out with their pictures. Wow. And some of them are pretty legit. Some of them are really make you think of pictures that I've got. Actually, I've got one that I'll send you when we get off here. I want you to look at I'd be honored to take a look at it, and uh, I think it's amazing. I love the fact you're sharing your story so sincerely. I can't wait to follow updates on this, and I look forward to hearing from you again this deer season. Absolutely. Anything new I hear, I'll let you know. Now to see the photographs that we discussed, you can find them at ConnectingVets.com. Just search in the menu for the audio section, and at the drop-down, look for CBS Eye on Veterans. Now, I'm not sure of a lot of things, but I am certain that Billy Humphrey is a good Marine veteran who is not trying to get one over on me. And I'm also sure that I'll be looking for great American military veterans with great stories to tell. And I'll share them with you next week on CBS Eye on Veterans.
Eye on Veterans Weekend has been presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. Choose from 90-plus programs and specializations to accelerate your military or civilian career and find out how our dedicated military and veteran advisors can help you navigate your benefits to save you time and money. University of Maryland Global Campus. Find out how we're made for you. Visit umgc.edu. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.